And uh, as you're taking your seats, go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And uh, somebody asked me recently what it's been like to preach through the book of Romans. And um, I said, and the hardest part about preaching through the book of Romans for me has been the fact that I've got to preach the greatest chapter in all the Bible, Romans chapter 8, to a camera. And, um, and God in his grace has allowed me and you... Uh, to be together this morning so that we can look at what is arguably the, the pinnacle of all the scriptures. It's the climax of Romans chapter 8. It is a magnificent portion of scripture, one that should thrill our hearts. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said about Romans 8, and particularly towards the end of Romans 8, he said, we're climbing a grand staircase. And This portion of scripture, verses 35 through 39, is the top step of that staircase. And on this top step, we're actually staring at the most important truth that the word of God gives us to anchor our souls, to anchor our security, to remind us that we are forever safe and secure in the arms of God. Last week, We looked at the work of Christ and how that speaks to our security. But in one sense, the question that Paul is asking here in this text is what exactly undergirds the work of Christ? Or let me put it another way for you. Why would God do this work for me? Why would he send his son to die for me? Why does it matter? And why did God cause his son to rise from the dead? Why is he exalted to the right hand of the father and now currently interceding for me? Why would God do all this? And the answer really that Paul gives us is an exposition in some sense of John 3.16, the most famous verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Love is why God saved you. Love is what sustains you through every moment of your life, through every trial, through any suffering. And love, listen, Christian, love is what secures you both now and for all eternity. Paul's point is that God has gone to such great lengths to save us that we can be assured that he will never allow anything to separate us from him. That is the nature and power of his love. He loves you, if you're in Christ this morning, with an unstoppable, unbreakable love. Which is why Paul asks this final question, and then he spends four verses driving it into our souls. I want to back up and read from verse 31, where we started last week, as Paul asks a series of questions, really five questions, rhetorical questions, and this last one being, I think, the most important of all. What then shall we say to these things, Paul says? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And here's our text for this morning. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We should just close our Bibles and end right there and just praise God. This, this truth is so magnificent, it is so thrilling, it is so motivating for the Christian who truly understands it. Our security is forever grounded in this simple reality that we are loved by God. And this love of God, Paul wants us to see, has practical implications for how we live now our Christian lives with the kind of confidence we should have. I want to show you three ways that God's love impacts our lives. First, notice this, God's unbreakable love provides the conviction to face our foes. It provides the conviction to face our foes. Here in verse 35, he asks this final rhetorical question, who can separate us from the love of Christ? That's such an important question to be able to answer. There are times in our lives where we believe that maybe, maybe there are some things that can separate us. And what Paul is referring to here is specifically suffering and trials. They have a way of getting between us and our confidence with God. We begin to question whether or not we're truly secure when we face difficulties. And Paul actually lists some things that might maybe be thought of to separate us from his love. In other words, that they might demonstrate to the undiscerning individual that God doesn't love me. And what I want you to see is the list that Paul gives here is autobiographical. It describes Paul's life. In fact, he went through far more than what he describes here. But listen, listen to this list. He says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I mean, you read that list and it's, it's hard to come up with something that might be worse than these things. And yet Paul has lived through them all. He is a man who has sacrificed much to follow Jesus Christ. And we read a, a list like this in our North American culture, and, and, and it really is hard for us to process. We like to use that phrase, right, that the, the whole world is against me. We live in this kind of a culture that, 
really exalts the, the victim in a victimhood mentality. And we can look at even trivial things in our life and, and, and think somehow that the world seems like it's against us. We often feel this way. You know, somebody steals your parking spot or your stuff in, stuck in traffic and it's like the end of the world. God, oh, the whole world's against me. Or maybe your hockey team loses to a really terrible hockey team and you're like, God, I thought you loved me. Or kids, maybe, maybe you got that, that ice cream cone, double scoop. You walk outside and it falls on the ground and you're like, God, I thought I was your child. You see, we apply this kind of thinking to very trivial things, but when life gets more serious, like Paul describes here, listen, we can actually begin to believe that maybe, maybe, maybe there are some things that can separate us from the love of Christ. And the truth is, As we saw last week, there are many things against us, especially when we decide to follow Jesus Christ. When we surrender our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ, we draw a line in the sand. What we are saying is, I am for God and he is for me. And in doing so, we instantly put a target on our back. And the great enemy of the church Satan himself, if you read through the book of Revelation, particularly Revelation 12, we see this, that Satan, he knows his time is short. And in his great wrath, Paul or John says, he is waging a war. Think about this, Christian. He's waging a war on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And in his war, he wants you to believe that the things you experience, the sufferings you go through, even for the sake of Christ, are things that distance you from God, that separate you, that should cause you to question God's love for you. And while no one can be against us in the final sense, we understand that there are many foes we face in this life. And Paul, to reaffirm this truth, he actually quotes from the Old Testament here, In verse 36, he quotes from Psalm 44, verse 22, saying, For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And if you go back and you look at the context of that psalm, it's really enlightening. That psalm, it shows that tribulations that believers face, they're nothing new. This has always been the lot for those who are faithful to God. It's always been characteristic of God's people. Psalm 44 depicts the persecution of Israel by the nations, all the surrounding nations, the hatred that was thrown Israel's way. And there the psalmist, he looks at the past, and and if you read the psalm, here's what he says. He says, God, he looks at the past, he says, you've saved us from our foes, and you've put to shame those who hate us. But then in the same breath, he recognizes that there are times when it seems, it seems like God, here's what he says, God has rejected us and disgraced us and has not gone out with our armies. He says this, that you have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten the spoil. This is often the way it feels, especially in the midst of persecution and suffering. 
But the psalm tells us, listen, that those people, God's people were not suffering because they had forgotten God. It wasn't because they had turned their back on God and they turned to false gods. Instead, the psalm reminds us, listen, that this suffering is not unique for God's people. We suffer for God's sake because of our loyalty to him. Now, most of us, we've never suffered physically for Christ. In our context, we need to be reminded that this has actually been the reality for many of God's children in the past, and it is, for many, right now, their current reality. There are people around the world who have surrendered to Jesus Christ, who have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, and now they pay for it in all kinds of ways, many even with their own lives. The author of Hebrews tells us again that throughout history, this has been normal in many regards for God's people. It says this in, in chapter 11, verse 35 through 39, that there were many who were tortured, refusing to accept release, suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. Many were stoned. Some were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. And, and loved ones, listen, we need to understand that the cost of following Jesus, of faithfulness to Jesus, has always been high. Rod Dreher writes these words. He said, we serve, and this is in the context of suffering, he says, look, we serve a God who created all things for a purpose. That's what Paul's been saying in Romans chapter 8. Even suffering has a purpose in the believer's life. But here's what he says. This is so insightful. He says, he does not want admirers. He wants followers. As Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, God suffered with humanity to redeem humanity. And he calls us to share in his passion, in his suffering, for our sake and for the sake of the world. Here's what he says. He says, he promises us nothing but the cross. Not happiness, but the joy of blessedness. Not material wealth, but richness of spirit. But let me add that Jesus himself said this in Matthew 10. He said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So the question that Paul poses here is, can pain, can misery, can loss, even of the greatest degree, separate God's people from his love? Can our greatest adversity or our greatest adversary separate us from the love of Christ? And the definitive answer is no. No, when we look at our suffering and trials, listen, the conviction that drives us to face these the conviction that holds us firm is that we are secure in Christ, that he loves us. When you look at your suffering and trials, what you need to think is that though all the world may hate you, God loves me. And that means that if he is allowing this trial, if he is allowing this suffering in my life, I must need this. 
If God is, is allowing it, it means, listen, because he loves me, it means he wants to use this for my good. It means he wants to use this to bring him greater glory. In other words, my sufferings are a means of God's sanctification. They're not indications of God's separation. Suffering doesn't separate me from God's love. It reminds me of the security of God's love. It reminds me that nothing in this world is stable. Nothing in this world is secure. I can find no safety in anything else in all creation, but I can find it in the one place I was meant to find it. I can find safety and security in the love of God through Christ Jesus. But even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. His unbreakable love provides the conviction to face our foes. And not only that, look at this secondly, it provides the courage to forsake our fears. Suffering and adversity can often grow our fears and overwhelm us with fear and anxiety and worry. And look at what he says, in light of all of the things we may face for following Jesus Christ, in light of all these things, verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. How, Paul? Through him who loved us. Paul says we are more than conquerors. He, he creates here a new word. We are super conquerors, he says. We're not just victors, we're super victors. This is how he wants the Christian to view themselves as they navigate life in this world. You in Christ are more than conquerors through him who loved you. This is such a, a powerful truth. I was reading um, Psalm 27 this morning. And as I was reflecting on it near the end of the psalm, in the very context of suffering, David, he writes these words. Listen to this. In verse 12 through 14, he says, Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. But then he says this. Here it is. Listen, you want to know how David thought of himself as a conqueror as a more than conqueror i believe he says that i shall look upon the goodness of the lord in the land of the living he looked at his life and what he realized regardless of what he faced listen there was a day coming where he would stand in resurrection life and power he would be victorious he would live in the land of the living and his adversaries and enemies would be no more and then he says these words Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Paul has this same kind of future perspective as he looks at trials. He doesn't want us to get caught up, listen, in the, the moment of our trial. He wants us to see through our trial, past our trial. He wants us to see that God is working through this. And there, listen, our trials, the suffering is just for a little while. And there is coming a day where we'll all be put to an end. Even when we suffer for Jesus, our suffering is the means by which we are more than conquerors. 
Our suffering is how we demonstrate, church. Listen, it's how we demonstrate to the world that we are more than conquerors. It's how we show the power of God that is within us, what we're able to handle, not because of our strength, but because of his strength in us. And yet, listen, sadly, many in the church, and definitely those outside of the church, they look at the cross, and they see it as a symbol of defeat. They look at the suffering of Jesus and they see it as a sign of weakness. That God would come to suffer and die at the hands of his own rebellious people. But we know that God's ways are not our ways. And while the world believes that strength can be revealed only in might and power through military force, or through human strength, God chooses to show his strength in weakness. Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 through 25. He says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. One author says it like this. He says, God did not demonstrate his power through clenched fists, but with open hands so that nails could be driven through them. Christ's enemies, listen, they certainly thought they had won when Jesus was nailed to that cross. But in reality, through the weakness, through the shame, and through the suffering of the cross, Christ conquered Satan. He disarmed the rulers and the powers of this world. He put them to open shame. And through that same power of the cross, through the Spirit of God, God is bringing his enemies, rebels like you and me, into submission to his kingly rule. I love the the picture that Paul paints for us here. It reminds us that as we look at the cross, listen, while Satan was doing his worst, God was doing his best. While Satan thought he was defeating God and his plans, God was in the process of defeating Satan. And as we look to Jesus Christ in his moments of suffering, it is his perseverance that instructs the believer, his courage to forsake the fear of being God forsaken. His declaration, not my will be done, but yours. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. And like Jesus, our sufferings will eventually give way to resurrection and ultimate victory. We have nothing to fear. We have only to persevere with courage. Not because we are strong in ourselves, but because we have the power of God's indwelling spirit. What does it look like to be more than conquerors with the courage to forsake our fears? History is filled with those who in the face of suffering and persecution, stood strong in the strength and might of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. One such individual was a man named John Christostom. In the 5th century, he was being persecuted for his faith and he was brought before the Roman emperor. 
The emperor threatened him with banishment if he remained a Christian. They were calling him to deny his faith, to renounce Jesus Christ. And Christossom's reply is so powerful. He says, you cannot banish me for this world is my father's house. The emperor said, well, I I will kill you then. And he said, no, you cannot. For my life is hid with Christ in God. Well, I will take away your treasures then, said the emperor. No, you cannot. For my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. But I will drive you away from man and you shall have no friend left in the world. No, he says, you cannot, for I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you, for there is nothing that you can do to hurt me. Church, Paul does not invite us to play the helpless victim card as we suffer in this life. He invites us to play the courageous conqueror card. And by the way, this victory is not simply an individual victory. This is a corporate victory. This is the victory of the people of God. This is the victory of the family of God. It is the victory of the blood-bought bride of Jesus Christ. And, And what I love so much, listen, the fact that we're here together reminds us of why we gather in the first place. We, we need our hearts desperately reminded and refreshed about who we are in Christ Jesus. Not only what he's done, but who we are because of what he's done. We need to be reminded that in Christ Jesus, listen, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of the pain that we experience in this life, that we are more than conquerors. We gather to remember that our Savior lives Every Sunday, we gather on Sundays because it was the day that Jesus Christ declared victory over sin, over death, and over Satan. We gather every Sunday to remember that because our Savior lives, we live too, and one day we will live forevermore with him. We gather every Sunday to remember that to him belongs the victory, to him belongs the power, to him belongs the honor, and to him belongs the glory forever and ever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. We are his he is ours. And whatever we face in this life, no matter how difficult it is, it cannot defeat us. For we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So take courage, loved ones. Follow Jesus Christ and forsake your fears. Be willing to give up whatever it takes to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. God loves you with an unbreakable, everlasting, victorious love. Lastly, God's unbreakable love provides the confidence to fuel our faith. I love this. In verse 38 and 39, really this is a summary in so many ways of what he's already said. He says, for I am sure, listen to that again. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
When Paul writes, he does so as a man absolutely convinced. There is no wavering, there is no shadow of doubt in anything he says. There's no questioning. There's no second guessing. There is total and absolute confidence. He looks at all of the greatest obstacles facing the Christian, and he knows that whatever he encounters, it has no power and no ability to separate him from the love of God in Christ Jesus. What God has started in you, in in that foreknowledge, in that predestination, in that calling, in that justification, he will bring to completion on the day of your glorification. That chain is unbreakable because the love of God is unbreakable. It's so amazing, isn't it? The chapter that began with, there is now therefore no condemnation, ends with, there is now therefore no separation. We need to be reminded that at one time, listen, at one time, we were all separated from God. Every single one of us apart from Jesus Christ, separated from relationship with God, Every one of us had rebelled against God. We sinned against the God who created us. And in so doing, it caused an irreversible, humanly speaking, separation, a chasm between us and God that we could could never cross, we could never fix, we could never repair. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much wisdom you have. It doesn't matter how much human power or authority you have. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. You can never bridge that chasm. And Paul has laid this out in the book of Romans that when we were helpless and hopeless, completely separated from God, God saw us and in his love, he came to rescue us. Not because we were worthy, not because God needed us, only because God chose, listen, before you were ever created, before you ever did anything right or wrong, good or bad, he chose to set his love upon you. It was his love that bridged the gap. He would send his own son that all who believe upon him may have everlasting life. 